right, good morning, everybody. Today is Wednesday, August 24th. This is episode 182 of the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Osher, and over the next 30 minutes, I'll be delivering the top cybersecurity news stories of the day and providing expert analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner, or if you're looking to break into the industry, we got you covered. But before we get into that, shout out and thanks to this stream sponsor, Barricade Cyber Solutions. Cyber criminals have stolen your company's data and derailed your business operations. Barricade Cyber Solutions will help you resolve this ransomware attack and more importantly, get your business back on track. Check out barricadecyber.com. It's it's not it's not a big faceless conglomerate. It's a small business run by Eric Taylor. They might be small, but they are mighty. And if you've got ransomware running around in your environment, uh, you're definitely going to want to call them. But best practice, call them beforehand and discuss what it would look like. I want to remind you, if you hold professional certifications that require CPEs or CEUs for my UK friends, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. So that's two and a half a week or 10 a month. They definitely stack up. They add up. Be sure to document literally the easiest and I would argue the most enjoyable way to earn CPEs. Simply say, what's up? Justin Loken just said, good morning. Boom. Forensically auditable evidence. Kimberly can fix it. Boom. Kimberly's got auditable evidence. Just say, what's up? Where are you calling from? Right? Go ahead, caller. Where are you calling from? Like, where, where are you at? Maybe we can try to run it. We missed... I, I thought about it yesterday. Panama is Central America. I'm not, I, I don't know if um, if I could say that's South America. Maybe we can run the run the planet again today. So let us know where you're where you're at. Hey, Ms. Julian, saw you jump on that GRC course, Ms. Julian. Hopefully you enjoy that. All right, Ireland, Europe's in the house. Obviously, North America's in the house. Raleigh, North Carolina, my man, Jeremy, new squad member. Where's my wow? Where's my wow? All right. If you are live, love it. Thanks for being here. Hashtag team live. We've got the counter going. We're at 63 right now, but we're going to we're going to bump that up. I know it. If you're on replay, drop a hashtag team replay in comments. You need to, um, you know, basically say here, do roll call, whatever you want to say in hashtag team replay. You guys are your own uh, faction uh, as far as I'm concerned. If if we were like uh, a... you know, I don't know, Eve or one of those uh, like MMORPGs. You guys are your own guild. I love it. All right. Now, if you want to jump in right to the news, um, when this picture changes to news and the screen's going to change because I have a I have a layout for the news part of it, we're off and running. Uh, but for the next maybe two minutes, I do want to say what's up to Chad. Have a couple questions for you guys. I hope you can help me out. Uh, and then we'll be off and running. If you are listening on your audio podcast app of choice, just go ahead and jump, you know, whatever, 90 seconds, two minutes. Uh, you will definitely hear the podcast, um, the audio podcast from the news briefing that we use to do the daily cyber threat briefing. Uh, so with that, let me welcome you all uh, and say good morning. So first off, hey, Rachel from New York, Amir, good morning. Hey, Carrie, always in here. Hashtag team live. Nathan Bolin, my man. Good to see you, Nathan. Mighty. Good morning, beautiful people. You're right. Hey, Brian. Brian is here will read yeah buddy tony mba good to see you. it's been a minute munchkin coming strong as always asha 412 amaduba always good you guys are the best tom bishop's always representing infosec live coming across the pond hey simon good to see you angel perez sir juan good morning everyone hey jessica probes jessica probes cyber kill jane do love it 
Lewis Diamond, my man. Nesta, Lindbergh, Neil, what's a good podcast for someone to trying to bust into the scene? Lindbergh, welcome to the party. This is the podcast, my friend. But I'll also tell you, um, Sands Stormcast does a great one, uh, which is really technical and kind of a newscast. Um, Risky.biz does a great one. Sissoseries.com has a bunch of podcasts, so definitely check those out. I am a man of the people. I'm not going to just say that our stream is the best and only one. There are multiple. South Africa in the house. Thank you, Andre. So now we've got Africa uh, representing Vladimir, my man. Axiom Brevity's here. Harvard alumni, let's go. All right, guys. So, hey, I, there is a poll. If you are on YouTube, please take a minute and fill out the poll. Um, I had a conversation with a CISO yesterday who is a member of the Simply Cyber community. And I said, hey, it's been a minute since I've seen you in, in stream on the mornings. And he said, yeah, you know, they've gotten long. They're, they're an hour now. Um, and I respect this dude's time. And I, I understand the show started as 30 minutes, but as pleasantries and Carl, you know, and, and fun stuff uh, intervene, I go down rabbit holes a little bit deeper on some of the stories. The show has turned into an hour. It's been an hour for probably a few months. Um, please take a minute and fill out the poll. If you would like me to dial it back to 30 minutes, I'm fine doing that. If you'd like it, if you like it the, the way the show is, sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes it's 60. If, I don't ever go over 60, but if you want me to dial it back, holler at me and I'll, and I'll dial it back. Again, I do this show for myself to stay informed, but I do it as, you know, to, to help deliver value to you. So if 60 minutes isn't valuable to you, holler at me and we'll dial it back to 30. You know what I'm saying? All right, cool. Oh, God, the coffee is strong today. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right, guys. I think I think we're good. Angel Perez is here. Justin Gold's here. Fraud Dog's in the house. I love it. Joshua B. I do love it. Okay, so guys, check it out. Uh, I just want to tell you from a production perspective, um, I'm now using my stream deck. I have access to more sound effects, right? And I can control Spotify a little bit easier. So... Things, things are going to, um, like the operations getting a little smoother. You can see I'm using Stream Deck. So this is fun. Let us get into the news, shall we? I think we got a banger today. Reggie's here. All right, Reggie, let's do this. All right, thanks, everybody. Let's switch the screen and get into the news. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Wednesday, August 24th, 2022. Ex-security chief accuses Twitter of cybersecurity negligence. Peter Zatko, Twitter's ex-security chief who was fired back in January 2022, has blown the whistle on Twitter's cybersecurity practices. Zatko filed a complaint with the SEC back on July 6th, alleging that thousands of employee laptops contained full copies of Twitter's source code. He claims that one-third of those devices blocked automatic security fixes, had firewalls turned off, and had non-approved remote access enabled. He also alleges Twitter failed to reliably delete user data after account cancellation. The complaint further states that employees repeatedly installed spyware on their work computers at the request of external organizations. Zatko said Twitter experienced roughly one security incident per week during his two-year tenure and indicated that he, quote, reasonably feared Twitter would suffer an Equifax-level hack, end quote. 
Oh, guys, I love having this, the, the start stop on the, on the stream deck. I, I don't have to move the mouse to like another screen. This is awesome. Okay. So let's talk about this one. Twitter, like literally Twitter. So it's very meta infosec. Twitter was uh, on fire yesterday because of uh, this story right here. Guys, let's take a minute here and talk about this. So some of you may not know this. This is super OG. Peter Zapko, the guy who is the ex-security chief, the guy who is the whistleblower, the guy who's the center of this story, his name, is, his, his online handle, his gamer handle, whatever you want to call it, his cyber handle, his hacker handle, is Mudge, okay? You can follow him on Twitter at dot .mudge. The guy has a very, very storied career. He's a wonderful uh, advocate of our, um, of our, our industry, frankly. Uh, he is famously known for being part of Loft, uh, the group out of Boston that was like the, the 90s style hacker. When I talk about the, you know, the 90s hackers and, and kind of the curiosity and, and kind of poking and prodding, and not really um, thinking of criminal enterprise or any of that stuff. That was him. Also famously, there's a famous photo. In fact, I'm going to show it because this guy deserves so much respect um, that I, you, you should see this uh, photo. And then I'll tell you what I think about the story. Loft Congress. So famously, this picture right here, you could see it. Hopefully you can see that. Um, he, him and the other members of Loft actually went and spoke before Congress. And you could see that they actually have their, their handles right there instead of their names. So Kingpin was a bit younger. Um, Tan, Wellpawn, he was kind of one of the, the leaders, Space Rogue. Anyways, they went before Congress and basically explained in the 90s how horribly insecure everything was and how they could just take over stuff if they wanted. Not that they were doing it as like vigilantes, but like literally the reason that we have any hope or any semblance of responsible disclosure in the security research community is thanks in large part to Loft and Mudge. Okay, so this is this dude's history. Um, you definitely should know him. He's a really good guy too. Um, you can, you can Google him and see all of his background and stuff like that. Okay. So let's get to this story. So he was like basically in charge of, um, security for Twitter, right? Very, very prestigious position, right? Obviously. Well, he said, if you're in charge of security for an organization and they are doing horrible, horrible cyber hygiene, as he said, like machines, not updated, um, spyware installed all over the place because management wants it. Source code to Twitter installed on over a third of employees' machines, which makes no freaking sense. Um, like, hello, why don't you have like code repositories and check in and check out and, and like code management? You are a software company, BT dubs. Um, it is an incredibly difficult ask for him to be in charge of security when the company isn't doing the things that they need to do in order to be secure, right? It's basically, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm surprised he lasted two years, frankly, because like after six months, well, there's a whole thing about why CISOs only last 18 months. And there's like three main reasons. And one of them is this reason, right? If you're there just for lip service, so the board can check a box and say, we take security seriously, but nobody at the organization is taking security seriously. And obviously the tone at the top is not to take it seriously because the tone would push down that whatever uh, Peter Zapko's security program required, um, 
would need to do. So, so they're not doing that. So anyways, I'm glad he blew it. Twitter is so, so ingrained in our society, right? That it can be used for misinformation, disinformation campaigns. We just saw uh, Elon Musk almost buy it for $40 billion, right? So it's not, it's not nothing. So if it could get hacked, if it could be taken over, if it could be weaponized, um, it could be weaponized from a criminal perspective in order to spread misinformation from popular blue check mark accounts, commit fraud. We've seen that before with uh, blue check mark accounts tweeting out Bitcoin wallets and send me money. It can be done for political espionage pers- uh, or disinformation campaigns, um, etc. Right. So there's a lot going on here. I'm glad he blew the whistle. We'll see what happens. Again, Mudge is um, just he's legendary in the InfoSec community. Ukraine and Poland joined forces to counter Russian cyber attacks. On Monday, Ukraine and Poland signed an agreement to jointly combat cyber threats, including those from Russia. Poland has become a popular target for Russian hackers as more than 1.2 million Ukrainian refugees have fled to Poland from the war-torn country. The countries will jointly participate in cybersecurity conferences, work to prevent spread of Russian disinformation, and share digital documents in their e-government apps. Ukrainians who have moved to Poland will have access to their digital driver's licenses, vehicle registrations, and residence permits. Ukraine plans to reciprocate by recognizing some Polish digital documents. Okay, so, yeah, this isn't surprising. Um, A couple things. One, one, you know, Ukraine, a lot of people, I don't want to call them refugees, uh, you know, because I don't know if that's the right term, but there's a lot of people who fled Ukraine. For good reason, it's under attack, right? You don't want to be in a battlefield um, if you if you can help it. It sucks that your home, your neighborhood, is part of the battlefield, like AKA Red Dawn, uh, you know, from an American perspective. But people fled, but they still um, they they went to Poland, right? So Poland's being attacked by Russia, Russia, and you got to remember too, like the like the the private factions of people who are skilled in cybersecurity, like Killnet, as they mentioned in the story, um, at, including Conti, uh, you know, officially, um, have come out and said, we're going to support Russia in this and we will attack uh, Russian adversaries. So, you know, UK, US, Germany, Poland, Latvia, Romania, like all of these countries that are not getting with the program of uh, either leaving Russia, Ukraine alone or helping Ukraine in some capacity are are being targeted. So there's a lot of, um, I don't want to call it collateral damage, but there's a lot of like spill. Again, guys, the cyber battlefield doesn't give a damn about your geopolitical boundaries, right? It doesn't care where your latitude and longitude, your latitude and your longitude rest, right? It's, it, it's, it's on a different space. It's the metaverse, right? So it's not surprising that we're starting to see kind of um, official organization, official alliances start to form um, in stuff like this, right? So Ukraine and Poland agree to jointly counter Russian cyber attacks. Estonia, very, very cyber uh, heavy uh, country. Um, they've been attacked by Russia like a lot. So it's no surprise that they're getting involved too. This is really, I mean, we have NATO, right? But this is really starting to form up into like, I don't want to call it axis and allies, but like, like geopolitical factions, like where this group of people who are not enjoying the fact that you're attacking this other group of people and we're going to ban with them. And, you know, Russia seems to have kind of the, um, the approach of like, 
threatening, hey, if anyone helps Ukraine, you become our our adversary too. Um, and you know what does that mean? What does that mean for you as a country? Well, it can mean numerous things. You, you can let your mind wander. So, uh, but we're starting to see this. So Poland, um, good on you. And, and not surprising, again, because there's a bunch of Ukrainians that fled to Poland. Use Binance exec deepfake in crypto exchange scam. A group of hackers have managed to use an AI hologram to impersonate Binance chief communications officer, Patrick Hillman. Using the deepfake over Zoom calls, the hackers fooled several cryptocurrency project representatives into thinking Hillman was helping them get listed on the Binance crypto exchange. The listing scheme was discovered when some of the reps contacted Hillman to thank him for the listing opportunities. Hillman did not disclose which cryptocurrency projects were targeted or the funds invested for the sham services. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it, love it, love it. Yeah, thanks, Charles Finfrock. It's been a minute since we had the Finfrock crypto evangelist, but I'm telling you, the new stream deck is back, baby, and we've got sound effects for days. Okay, so check this out. You know I'm going to flip out and love on this one. I have been an advocate of deep fakes as as a weaponized cyber um, weapon utility um, that will come into play. This right here, I'm assuming is, um, well, it's kind of associated with um, business email compromise-ish. Basically, threat actors look like the CCO, the chief communications officer of Binance, and hold a Zoom call. People on the Zoom call think they're talking to the CCO of Binance. I don't understand exactly what the what the play is. Um, obviously, the threat actor is getting information from the crypto projects, uh, maybe finding out the health of the projects, maybe getting some insider information so the threat actor can make some type of informed financial decision on what projects to invest in or divest from. I'm not sure, but I don't care about crypto or about these projects. What I care about is we're now seeing active utility of deep fakes to simulate an individual for a for a, an impersonation attack. Which by the way, I literally said in the Trend Micro metaverse talk at Black Hat on Wednesday, August 10th. I literally said this this is this is happening. Uh, we've seen it, we've heard about it on Teams. Now we're seeing it on Zoom, and obviously it was effective enough if the project owners were emailing afterwards a follow-up thank you letter. They were obviously quite fooled. So, um, yeah, this is, this is as perverse as it is, I'm excited about this because like, this, I really believe that this is going to be more prevalent of an attack once it really gets dialed in. Thousands of Hikvision cameras can be easily hacked. Hikvision. Researchers from Cypherma have discovered over 80,000 Hikvision cameras affected by a critical command injection vulnerability tracked as CVE-2021-36260. The bug allows attackers to send a specially crafted message to web servers running on a vulnerable device to give an unrestricted root shell. This gives the hacker far more access than device owners who are restricted to running mostly informational commands. Since the Vuln's public disclosure, two exploits have been publicly released. Ugh. Hikvision issued a fix in September 2021, but tens of thousands of devices remain vulnerable even if they're updated to the latest firmware version. The top nations using Hikvision camera products include China, U.S., and Vietnam. Okay, so what the hell? All right, here, here's a couple things going on with this one. First of all, 
IoT camera, they typically have crap security. Uh, that's why they're cheap. Two, Hikvision. Um, the weird thing is they have a patch that's been out since September last year. Guys, it's August. So this patch has been out for 11 months, which makes it even weirder that the story is coming out now. Three, it's running a web server. So if it's internet facing, which we can use Shodan.io, the website to find, which is how I'm sure experts found 80,000 of them vulnerable. Um, you basically can get root access on the box, remote code execution, unauthenticated access. So basically, and there's two exploits out in the wild. This right here, whoops, this right here is about, hold on, can I do this? Yeah, this right here is about as egregious as it gets, okay? This right here is not good. It is an internet facing device that you can completely pwn with very little effort because there's exploits you can just download out there and there's 80,000 of them, okay? So what are we gonna do about this? First and foremost, by the way, this could be shadow IT. Where's Carl? I gotta get a Carl button here. Carl could, like people install shadow IT all the time. They stick an IoT camera on their network so they can look at the loading dock so they don't have to go downstairs or they can look at the, the cafeteria line and, and, not, you know, and not hit the rush, right? Sometimes businesses install it to show the, uh, the waiting room so like for, you know, which this could have HIPAA implications, but some, some places will put it on the waiting room. That way you can see if it's busy or not and decide if you're going to go down to the, the clinic or not. Right. So there's, there's reasons good or bad. The problem is if you don't do it in a controlled fashion, if you don't secure the device, if you don't keep it up to date, then crap happens like this. Okay, so the TLDR, and, and by the way, as InfoSec pros, we may not even know this thing's here. So here's the TLDR with this one. You should use Shodan and scan your external facing IP range. Shodan actually has a thing called Shodan Monitor. Uh, look into it, okay? Monitor.shodan.io. It's actually a wicked cool tool. It can proactively scan your external IP range and then email you as things get found, all right? So it's, it's much better than reactionary. It's proactive. Okay, so anyways, that's that's a plug for monitor.shodan, but it is a good service, okay? So check this out. Scan your external network. See if you're running one of these stupid cameras. Secondly, if you are, patch it or pull it off your camera. Third, and this one is not an easy lift, but you should have some type of like IoT network segment for crap like this. Consider it your radioactive segment. You should not, like just pretend for a second this camera gets popped, okay? Threat actors should not be able to laterally move from a Hikvision IoT camera to your AD controller, period, end of story. That should not happen ever. And I know it's wicked hard to implement network segmentation, but just hear me out, guys. If they can pivot laterally from, from an IoT camera that's internet facing to your AD controller, it's gonna happen and you got big problems. So that's the TLDR with all this, okay? Shadow IT, be mindful of it. Find these Hikvision cameras if they're on your network. Educate your end users to the risk of doing Shadow IT. Patch this thing. And by the way, they said in the story, it's not the new, the newest firmware version is still vulnerable. You have to apply some type of security patch, which by the way, come on, Hikvision. Why can't you put the security patch in the newest firmware update? Like what the hell? Like why is it gotta be like bolted on? It's, it's like, ugh. And now we'd like to thank right, this week's episode read. sponsor, Code42. 
Cybersecurity teams are facing unprecedented challenges when it comes to protecting sensitive corporate data from exposure, leak, and theft. In fact, the Code 42 Annual Data Exposure Report revealed there's a 1 in 3 chance that your company will lose IP when an employee quits. To learn more about stopping data leaks with insider risk management, visit code42.com slash show me. Show me the money. All right, so check it out real quick. Thank you uh, to CISO Series for that. I want to take a minute and just share a couple things. Later today, I'm wearing my ThreatGen shirt. You can see later today at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, so in about three hours from right now, I will be playing in the ThreatGen Red versus Blue Cybersecurity Simulation platform over on ThreatGen's channel. Do an exclamation point ThreatGen in chat right now to get a link to it. I will be a red team operator today. I will be emulating Muddy Water, a.k.a. Static Kitten. Um, this is an Iranian-based... APT group that does espionage and mostly targets government and oil sectors. So I'm going to choose an oil business. I'm going to go low and slow. I'm not going to go on site because that's what not what Muddy Water does. And I'm going to be committing espionage all up in here later today. So if you're interested in hanging out, learning a bit about MITRE ATT&CK, learning a bit about Muddy Water as an APT, what their techniques, tactics, processes look like, and having a good time as I emulate it in an environment, holler at me and come join us at 11.30 later today. Uh, also, look at all these squad members. Hey, hey, Jamie J and Zelaya, let me give you some love. I'm supposed to have a, 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 a alert box that plays up here when someone joins, joins the squad membership. We'll see about that. Uh, I saw some subs come in and Carl dancing, which is pretty cool. Uh, on Thursday, Mike Miller, many of you have seen him on LinkedIn. The guy's an advocate for people breaking into cybersecurity. He's done a lot of work in this space. Seems like he's got a great personality, a lot of information to share. I'm looking forward to it. This is more of a fireside chat, so bring your questions. We'll anchor from breaking in the industry, but we can go anywhere that you guys want to go. And this is Thursday, tomorrow, August 25th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin ATMs leached by hackers with fake admin accounts. General Bytes, a Czech company that sells Bitcoin ATMs, is urging its users to patch a critical money-draining bug in its server software. Hackers leveraged the Coin ATM Server, or CAS, administrative interface to remotely create their own admin accounts. Attackers identified potential victims by looking for CAS services on ports 7777 or 443. Using their admin access, the threat actors were able to reconfigure existing ATMs to divert all invalid payments to a wallet of their own. Because the attacks were limited to invalid transfers or withdrawals where a customer made a mistake, the overall financial impact was only roughly around $16,000. General Bytes has published an 11-step process that its customers should follow to remediate this issue, including patching CAS servers, restricting access, and reviewing security configurations and logs. All right, uh, a couple things here. One, <laughs> Jesus, a couple things here. One, financial services, um, you, really gotta, you really gotta be careful on financial services. There's a reason that financial services is the most well-funded of industries, because if you lose trust uh, and security in financial services, then your client base is like, this is my money. Uh, there's a million different options for me to, like, to put my money other places, so no. Um, these are Bitcoin ATMs, so I guess that that's a thing now. Like I, I knew that there were like novel uh, approaches of 
you know, using Bitcoin as a regular currency. I, I, I believe Venezuela is on Bitcoin as their, their gold standard, if you will. Apparently, threat actors discovered that you could scan DigitalOcean, which is like a cloud hosting service, and find these servers. So I imagine that these Bitcoin ATMs are basically reaching back to a, a, a centralized management server for reporting, for transactions, uh, for balance updates, you know, for all, for all the things that ATMs need to do. Uh, and threat actors are able to admin into it. Now, first of all, good on threat actors, like, you know, clever and, you know, interesting Two, i would say shame on general bites like oh there we go brandon douglas up in here thanks for the sub Brand or not the sub thanks for joining the squad brandon douglas one of us i love it i love it let me know what you guys think of the alerts i think it's a lot of fun okay so general bites releases this atm they issue an 11 step process to their customers crime the almighty are you kidding me so I, you sell me this ATM for five G's and then it's insecure. And then I have to do 11 steps to fix it. Like, um, I don't know. Be better general bites. Like uh, some of these things, like these 11 steps are like, you know, obviously customer facing like review firewall settings, right? That's going to be, well, I mean, I, I don't know if this thing is reaching out to the digital ocean. I don't know if it's necessarily on the customer's network right because some of these things have like a, a a a 5g or like a cell tower antenna thing on it and it just reports up it, it's not really on your network i don't know by the way like deactivate atm terminals is part of the 11 step process does that kind of defeat the purpose of having the atm if it's deactivated i i don't know to me to me, ATMs have been around a while. I feel like there's best practices on how to implement ATMs. And it seems, again, I don't have all the information, but it just seems that General Bytes, this Czech company, uh, wanted to be first to market and, and get, get Bitcoin ATMs in place and start collecting revenue. Uh, and they kind of dropped the ball significantly on securing. Phishing attacks abusing SaaS platforms sees massive growth. According to a new report from Palo Alto Networks Unit 42, researchers observed a colossal 1,100% increase in hackers abusing software-as-a-service platforms over the past year. SaaS platforms allow phishing actors to easily switch from different themes, scale up or diversify their operations, and quickly respond to reports and takedowns. Threat actors were observed either hosting credential-stealing pages directly on abused services or redirecting victims to alternate sites. They are also taking advantage of service providers that don't respond to takedown requests to increase campaign uptime. Shutting down SaaS campaigns is very difficult, which means such campaigns likely aren't going away anytime soon. Wow. Okay. So this is uh, pretty cool. First of all, Unit 42, Palo Alto's Threat Research Group. Excellent, excellent resource. If you're looking to like go go deeper, right? Like like this this threat brief, like so the CISO series podcast is like macro level and then this this cyber threat briefing is like zooming in one tier if you want to like zoom in zoom in zoom in uh like unit 42's threat briefings google's uh tag group uh cisco talos like these are some of the groups that put out really good um deeper dive reporting on very specific topics this one coming so anyways what i'm saying is when something comes out from unit 42 i listen i listen and i look i look at it okay they are saying that there's a rise in abuse 
by threat actors on SaaS platforms. Guys, I'm going to date myself here, but like GeoCities, <laughs> GeoCities, you, like you could build your own personal little homepage, right? The idea that you can quickly whip up a website uh, is not a new idea. The fact that threat actors are using it to quickly whip up malicious sites that either um, are just a straight up fake business in order to give uh, some level of trust or authority to victims, or if it's to impersonate a website like a chase.com bank login website, right? Whatever it is, these things have been done for a while. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm not quite sure why there's been a rise. I mean, if you look, if you look um, at the graphic here, you see like, Obviously, in October of 21, there was a big surge. Uh, and then in just recently, the last couple months, there was a huge surge. So I'm not quite sure what's going on October. Maybe it was tied to like the holidays. And, um, you know, there's always a, a bunch of online activity during the holidays and scams and stuff like that. So uh, long story short, bad guys are using SaaS products. Everybody, the, in the, guys, you got to remember, we're all using SaaS products, right? Notion is a SaaS product. Evernote is a SaaS product. Um, Office 365 is a SaaS product. Um, WordPress-ish, right? I mean, you can install local instances, but there's like, you know, there, there's a million. Like SaaS products is kind of the way we go right now. Like that is cloud-based applications that remove all of the requirements of maintaining infrastructure so you can quickly prototype, quickly whip up ideas, quickly scale and expand, all this crap. Threat actors are going to abuse it. Why wouldn't they? Just think about it for a second. Why wouldn't they? Sometimes you got to think about how a threat actor thinks, right? Don't think of them as like the boogeyman. Think of them as enterprising uh, criminal enterprises, right? Like entrepreneurs. What, what tools are they going to use? They're going to use the same tools that we have in order to perpetrate their business, which just happens to be victimizing uh, businesses and individuals for financial profit. Now, there is APTs that do espionage and stuff like that, but I would argue a lot of us as industry practitioners, unless you're working in the Fed space or you know high-end financial services, um, are more focused on criminal, you know, cyber criminals and 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 you know those type of things, right? Um, phishing and stuff like that. Sometimes you get caught in in the blast radius of APTs, but for the most part, anyways. Long story short, this is a good opportunity to, like you'd have to distill this one out, but this is a good opportunity for your end users to remind them about uh, how easily it is for threat actors to whip up lookalike websites. Maybe maybe send a screenshot to your end users of like actual Facebook and then a criminal landing Facebook page. And honestly, just between me and you, you could probably just take the same screenshot and put it right next to each other and say one's the criminal impersonation site and one is real Facebook or chase.com and fake chase.com. It doesn't matter if it's actually a fake landing page. Not to say you're lying to your end users, but basically you're getting the point across that, listen, you won't be able to visually tell the difference between these two. So be mindful of what the hell you're clicking on and who's sending you things because this is how threat actors operate. Okay, way to go, Unit 42. DevSecOps gains traction, but security still lags. According to a new survey from GitLab, DevSecOps results in better code quality, higher developer productivity, and improved operational efficiency. The report revealed an increase in the number of agile development approaches, as well as use of low-code or no-code APIs, resulting in faster software deployment. 
However, integrating security is still an issue. While more than half of those surveyed include security as a performance metric, nearly the same number said it was, quote, difficult to get devs to actually prioritize fixing code vulnerabilities, end quote. The survey highlighted a need for better communication among all teams participating in development and deployment processes. Jonathan Hunt, Vice President of Cybersecurity at GitLab, noted, quote, Getting developers and security professionals to work together requires a culture-first approach to software development through the creation of a DevOps culture, end quote. Uh, yeah, this isn't surprising. Okay, guys, so DevOps, like, okay, so first of all, it, they say DevSecOps, right? But like, I don't know. Archon uh, of Black Pearl is the only person that I've ever heard of actually doing like DevSecOps where like his information security, security operations process, his blue teaming stuff is done using DevOps so he can like spin up new machines and push compromised ones to isolated lands and stuff like that. Um, but as far as this goes, this story is really talking more about software shops, right? Again, we just talked about how outrageously widespread SaaS solutions are. They're cloud-based applications that are made to scale and stuff like that. They're all built on code, right? So in order for that code to be written, developers need to do it. In our current agile methodology life, um, it's much more, you're much more likely to see DevOps where it's like continuous integration, micro fixes, micro um, function, push to prod, push, well, you know, you push through um, dev test prod, you go through the process and, and unit testing, all that crap, but, but that's not important here. So this is the way that things operate. The fact that 57% of devs see security as a performance metric, and it's difficult to get them to prioritize fixing code vulnerabilities isn't surprising. First of all, when you take time to implement a security feature, it doesn't usually show up on the front end. It, so it doesn't look like you're doing anything. Two, sometimes it's it's tough to like figure out how to fix the security vulnerability without impacting actual functionality of the tool. Three, it's it's more fun, honestly. Like I was a developer a million years ago, so you know, take that with a grain of salt. It's more fun to develop new functionality because you can play with it on the front end. You can talk about it. You can you can engage with your end user community and do UI and UX and crap like that. And it's it's just more enjoyable. So I'm not saying that they don't see value in patching vulnerabilities. I'm just saying, if you think of a dev, like, I mean, they obviously don't want insecure code, but they may be making their own risk-based decisions where they're like, oh my God, Jerry, like you just sent over this vulnerability that's like this incredibly rare circum set of circumstances have to happen and it's wicked unlikely to happen. I'm not going to spend two weeks fixing this vulnerability when I can deploy um, you know, some type of new, you know, upload functionality or a new workflow that optimizes uh, more of a frictionless experience for my end users, right? So they did interview 5,000 software developers. So that's a very solid um, poll, right? So like sometimes when we talk about polls, like if they interviewed like eight people, that's not really a good baseline. 5,000, that's pretty good. Um, anyways, I guess it's, well, and by the way, the final thing I'll say is security is a metric. Managing metrics in cybersecurity is very, very difficult. The board wants metrics. Metrics are hard, right? Uh, Wendy Anader famously said in a talk, like with, with, um, with performance metrics, like you can count the number of like fishes that we stopped, but it's like saying, 
how many raindrops does the umbrella stop? Like, it doesn't matter. What matters is you don't get wet. Did you get wet? Yes or no. I don't care if it stopped a light rain or a torrential downpour. How many raindrops? Like, that's the same as saying how many fishes did you stop? What matters is did you get wet? Did fishes get through? Did you get compromised? Like, these are the metrics. But it's easy to count fishes that got stopped because you can quickly go into your email gateway and pull the metrics, right? But that doesn't correlate to any level of value, right? So if, if someone stopped a thousand fishes and my organization stopped a million fishes, is my cybersecurity program a hundred X better than yours? No, it doesn't matter. Okay. So anyways, performance uh, metrics in cyber are very, very difficult. That's a little bit of a tangent I just went down, but it's not, it's not a performance metric guys. It's, it's a, it's a state of security of your solution to operate the way that you've designed it while maintaining confidentiality, integrity, and availability, security objectives in line with what you are you want, right? You only want authorized users to use it. You only want admins to get that functionality. You don't want the thing to go down, especially if it's a SaaS tool, because it online is where the market is. <sighs> All right, we're good. We're good. Judge rules university can't scan student rooms during remote tests. Chemistry student Aaron Ogletree sat for an online test in the spring 2021 semester. Ogletree was asked to show the virtual proctor his bedroom through his webcam prior to the test. A recording of the room, as well as the testing process, were retained by HonorLock, okay. the university's third-party vendor. Ogletree sued the university on the grounds that the practice violated his rights under the Fourth Amendment, which protects U.S. citizens against unreasonable searches and seizures. While the university argued that room scans are an industry standard practice, an Ohio judge disagreed, ruling Monday that the university's virtual scan was unconstitutional. All right. So this is an interesting philosophical discussion. I get why Cleveland State University is wanting to scan the room, right? They wanna see whether or not there's someone else in there to help the student cheat. They wanna see if there's a whiteboard written with all of the notes and answers or whatever, okay? I get it. Now this student and this judge who agrees basically says it's a Fourth Amendment rights violation, which I, I'm not sure if that's Fourth Amendment, right? I think Fourth Amendment is illegal search and seizure, right, by law enforcement. Uh, to me, law enforcement wasn't involved in this. This is a university faculty searching a student's room, which you could argue the dorm room is property of the university, so they could. But if it was a student in an off-campus um, room, then you know, it gets a little bit more dicey. Um, yeah, I mean, from a privacy expectation perspective, I agree that like scanning the whole room is a little sketch. Um, it's interesting in this world with uh, COVID and, and pandemic and remote work and all this, how organizations have responded to this. I mean, maybe have like more of a testing center or have them go to a public place. I, I don't know how to solve this, but it is a balance between managing cheating and managing privacy. Uh, I would argue that this is likely um, precedent setting and other students may go forward with uh, rebelling against uh, this type of, I don't want to call it draconian, but very invasive um, solution for validating that the student is not cheating during uh, test taking, right? So yeah, like test centers. I mean, that's exactly Jim Lund. That's what I was thinking. Like, why not send them into a test center? <sighs> Guys, I don't know.
not everybody's going to get it right. And the fact, the fact, I, you know what I find stunning? I find stunning that this even went to court. So obviously the student got scanned, took the test and then filed a civil complaint, I guess. I don't know. I'd have to read the story. Uh, but it, it's an interesting, you know what? This Friday, if you go to a cocktail party or a bar or something like that, and you want like an interesting um, conversation that doesn't have a right answer, but a lot of people will have opinions on, bring up this story. That's a good one. <laughs> All right, let's keep rolling. And that does it for today's cybersecurity headlines, but remember... All right, that does it for today's cybersecurity headlines. So let's, let's switch back to the tall pick. Let's turn on our music. Guys, I want to say thank you all uh if you haven't done it yet take a second if you're on youtube please take a moment and complete the poll um i asked in the poll today if you would the show has been running 60 minutes today i intentionally ran a little faster uh we are at 45 minutes if you would prefer a shorter show like 30 minutes um or you know not 60 minutes vote for that if you like the show the way it is where i kind of just organically go i never go over 60 minutes but i i i i do what i want to do and i talk about what i think is important and that you should know and then i move on to the next one so it's very organic let me know this is based on a conversation i had with a CISO yesterday who's a member of the simply cyber community who i haven't seen in a while and i asked why i hadn't seen him in a while and he said well the show just kind of runs long now so i you know i i haven't been attending because I, I don't have the time for it and i said okay that's that's cool let me ask the community it's all about it's all about you guys well joel belton that wouldn't affect the cpe credit because if you do 30 like i always say half a cpe which is 30 minutes so no matter what we always get 30 minutes worth of education so the cpes will never change it'll always be cpe 30 half a thing um so definitely go ahead and vote Vote, vote, vote. Maybe I'll split the baby in half and do 45-minute shows and keep it tight like that. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what the vote says. Okay, guys? Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the new layout. Obviously, please share on Discord um, what you think about the layout. Uh, I do want to remind everybody one other thing because I've gotten a lot of positive feedback. If you go to... I think it's exclamation point news. I do a month, uh, a weekly email every Monday morning. It'll be in your inbox at like 7 a.m. Eastern, 6.30 a.m. Eastern. Basically, when you get to work on Monday morning, it's right there, top of your inbox. Like, hello, look at me, read me. Basically, it is a very quick, scannable, actionable email that covers three key points. And I tell you exactly how to operationalize those three points. The po one point is for your end users. One point is for your peers. One point is for executives. Okay. Literally one sentence of what it is. One sentence of how, like what you need to do with this information or how, like, I think I put, here's how you can use this information. So it's literally actionable. You could take it and run. You can be an all-star if you want i mean you can you're probably already an all-star all right there's carl what's up carl good to see you thanks for the sub ron so here's the deal you can make it actionable you're probably already an all-star at your business you could take the dial and crank it up to 11. that's what this that's what this email does right here so if you're interested sign up for it it's not spammy i send it every monday morning that's it a lot of value all right guys my friends that's going to do it for 
today's daily cyber threat briefing. As I mentioned earlier, at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time today, I will be going live on ThreatGen's YouTube channel, exclamation point ThreatGen, to get links to that. And uh, I will be emulating Muddy Water, a.k.a. Static Kitten, a.k.a. the Iranian APT that's big on espionage. I'll be talking about MITRE ATT&CK, the TTPs for that particular APT. It'll be an educational learning stream, but it'll be a lot of fun. I'll be all up in here. Rachel, have a great day. Bob, Bob, have a great day. Terry, thank you so much. Patrick, love it, love it, love it. Joshua B, have a good day. Janelle, I see you, Janelle Isaacs. You have a great day too. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you at 1130 a.m. Have a wonderful day.